Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics with me, Steve Richards. Uh, It's the weekly podcast and thank you for tuning in wherever you are in the UK and indeed around the west of the world. West? Rest of the world. Maybe the West world. Um, Anyway, whatever. Thank you so much for tuning in. And well, where do we start? As ever, we've got a lot to cram in in our time together. Uh, Yeah, we've got a new Prime Minister. Um, It's a sentence uttered increasingly often on these podcasts, but we have. And I will reflect a bit, if that's okay with all of you, on the changed political scene. At King's Place, we will delve deeper. That's live on Wednesday uh, at King's Place and streaming live. So if you can't get there, you can get a stream ticket, have a glass of wine, join in on the chat and so on, uh, live on Wednesday. And then the next day at the Rope Tackle Art Centre in Shoreham. So yeah, if you could get there on the South Coast, that would be brilliant too. And I'm going to push it again because it's the first time I've been at the venue. I'm going for a rock and roll politics Christmas special at the old market theatre in uh, Brighton and Hove. It's a sort of in Hove, I think. I've never been. There are tickets available for all those uh, different shows as this kind of epic year reaches another climactic. Um, And after I've done a few reflections, we'll turn to a few of your questions, though you've experienced this week um, what some of us lot in the world of political journalism experience all the time, which is things move so fast, things can date as well. So by Sunday at seven o'clock, I'd had hundreds of questions uh, reflecting on the candidacy of Boris Johnson, what it might mean, whether it would portend an early election, divisions in the Tory party. And then, of course, at nine o'clock, he pulled out. So those questions have dated, brilliant though they were, and I've read them all. So keep them coming in because you now know what the new political context will be. At the usual address, steverick14 at iCloud.com. So Rishi Sunak. Already what is clear is that there will be not just, of course, the famous change of policies, because they had happened already under the chancellorship of Jeremy Hunt, but a change of dynamic at the top of the government. Because for a few days at least, uh, Jeremy Hunt was the most powerful figure in the government, and Truss had to do everything that he asked of her. And as I, I think reflected last week, the meeting of Truss and Hunt at Chequers, when Hunt arrived and said basically her entire economic package had to be dumped, has a cinematic quality about it. I emailed a mate of mine who um, uh, writes plays on uh, politics, Johnny Maitland, and said, you you know, you've, you've got the next one, haven't you? With the kind of structure in place of that Chequers meeting. Anyway, there he was in his majestic pomp, Jeremy Hunt, dumping it all in the House of Commons the next day with her, Liz uh, Truss, sitting next to him. Now it is Rishi Sunak, who is the most powerful figure, inevitably, of this government, a newly elected Prime Minister, with another twist as well. Sunak was Chancellor uh, until July, so he knows the Treasury inside out. So here you've got a very interesting dance between a new Chancellor, uh, installed a few days ago, Jeremy Hunt, and a new Prime Minister uh, immersed in that world of the Treasury. 
That will be a test for Jeremy Hunt uh, because he now has to get things through someone who knows more about economic policy than he does. The two will broadly be in agreement, and that is because they are both products really of the um, first phase of this long-serving, wild, conservative administration. Their political upbringing, if you like, was uh, uh, George Osborne economics, the um, uh, balance-the-books culture of uh, the George Osborne, David Cameron opening salvo of this uh, uh, 12 years of rule. As I've said before, the only duo of a mainstream party, Cameron Osborne, to respond to the global financial crash by advocating real terms, spending cuts. Sunak, if anything, is even more theological about that as the uh, overwhelming task of a government. And you could see it in his um, uh, various uh, financial statements when he was chancellor. Each one, as an opening pitch, was wholly inadequate to the challenges around the country. But Sunak couldn't see it. He could only see the need to begin balancing the books post-pandemic. So the most vivid example was his financial statement in the, the spring, which kind of, to Johnson's fury handed out a few pennies here and there, but failed wholly to rise to the challenge of the already looming energy crisis and much more besides. And he had to come back a few weeks later to pump in billions more because his initial instincts had led him to the wrong place. He is a uh, small state chancellor, uh, self-declared He was, sorry, a small state chancellor. He's now a small state prime minister, a self-declared fiscal conservative, who was, by the way, much closer to being a Thatcherite than Liz Truss in that mad leadership contest in the summer. They sort of competed with each other to be the inheritor of the Thatcherite flame. He went up with his wife to Grantham to be photographed by the statue of Margaret Thatcher, etc., etc. But he is closer to her. She was a kind of reckless libertarian, uh, Reaganite uh, figure in terms of her economic policy and it imploded so quickly. So, and Hunt is of the same kind of approach. I think he changed a bit in a way after he was health secretary in recognizing that the level of investment in the NHS was too low and needed to be addressed. And it couldn't just be addressed by this magic word reform in inverted commas. In that respect, at least, I think he, as in the Treasury, will have an awareness of what needs to be done in terms of the NHS. But broadly, he was wholly supportive of the Osborne approach to economic policy, was in that cabinet, uh, which um, united around that economic policy. Curiously, it was people like Ian Duncan Smith who challenged it when Osborne went for the welfare budget. And yet in the topsy-turvy world of language and politics in Britain at the moment, the BBC and others regard Osborne as the centrist and Duncan Smith as a wild right winger. That's where we were then and that's where they were then and that's where they will be now. And in a way, there is a neat symmetry to this political drama that this era of Tory rule began with that sort of reinvention of turbocharged Thatcherism 
and might end, and it is only a might, because who knows what will happen at the next election now, with a similar approach. And in between, there were these erratic, tentative attempts to move away from that approach to economic policy making towards a clo- towards a kind of more one nation conservatism i've mentioned it before but it was significant that may tried to do it with her comments that it's time to reflect on the good the state can do and in johnson's erratic haphazard rooseveltian approach to uh, economic policy making both were in their own inadequate ways attempts to move this party on beyond that. But Rishi Sunak is absolutely back, committed to that sort of balance the books approach. And he will, uh, was um, welcomed in the Treasury, where actually Truss was on to something about Treasury orthodoxy, which I'll come to in a second. Um, they danced together, the Treasury and Sunak. And of course, the falling out was with Johnson, who every now and again uh, demanded policies that cost a lot of money most famously his uh, social care uh, levy, which was another bizarre sequence uh, from this (laughs) government. Johnson, when he became prime minister, famously announced he had a plan for social care. He didn't. He just said that because he didn't want to just be seen as the Brexit prime minister when he came in, in July 2019. Um, But then he had to find a plan. And when he kind of said to Sunak he needed the money for social care, Sunak said, well, you have to raise raise taxes. I'm not going to borrow it because he is, as I say, this kind of balance your books kind of uh, Thatcherite. And so famously, they raised the national insurance payments. And that was then scrapped by trust, a, an abolition that remains in place. The only kind of thing that does really. There was a constant uh, set of tensions between Johnson Uh, Sunak and the Treasury over spending. That won't be the case any longer. It will be closer to Cameron and Osborne as the Chancellor and Prime Minister are at one. So where will the resistance come? It will come from Tory backbenchers who might welcome the kind of theoretical attachment to Thatcherite economics, but will then struggle to sell to their constituents the impact of some of the public spending cuts that could well be announced uh, when we get this financial statement, stroke budget, stroke whatever, scheduled for the end of this month. By the time you hear this, it might have uh, been delayed a bit. Who knows? The specific spending cuts always trigger internal opposition even if there is a kind of, oh, yeah, we need to tighten the belt and balance the books, a kind of generalised support for that amongst Tory MPs, the specifics can be full of trouble. That, I think, is where the constraint will lie. But there is another echo with the Cameron Osborne era, and that is in uh, the capacity of Sunak and Hunt to project plausibly. I can see a narrative uh, moving far soon about the grown-ups are back in charge. Uh, The markets will be calm. They're good interviewees. I know uh, Sunak can be uh, irritable at times, but he is, is, on the whole, uh, a, a very effective interviewee, I think. And so is Jeremy Hunt. And Jeremy Hunt never, as far as I can remember, expresses irritability. He is always calm, appears considered. And that is a very effective facade because um, when they claim to be compassionate and one nation 
uh, Tories in their approach. The demeanour will cast a spell over many, including, I suspect, parts of the BBC, who will see this as a return to the centre ground. And so that is a weapon for them. For the first time since Cameron and Osborne, they have uh, effective communicators. Uh, Cameron was always pretty effective. Uh, Osborne learnt to be towards the end of his time at the Treasury. Now, whether this works uh, in terms of the politics, who knows? They have some very tough decisions to make and will probably overcorrect. This is what tends to happen in Britain in economic crises. Uh, The Treasury does become mighty. And in this case, it will be mightier still, as I say, because Sunak worships at the altar of Treasury orthodoxy and the Treasury worships at his altar. You know, even if you look back at uh, the IMF crisis with the Labour government in 1976, Dennis Healy had to introduce severe spending cuts in order to get the loan from the IMF. But in his brilliant uh, memoir, written uh, many years later in the 80s, he said the Treasury had got it wrong. They didn't need their predictions in terms of the gap uh, uh, between spending and the amount the country had a capability to raise was not as great as they thought, and that therefore the panic uh, was uh, not as great, and the corrective measures need not have been as severe. And we know about the Osborne response to the financial crash in 2008. Even Tory MPs on the right of the party were, after a few years, pleading with him to stop. It was counterproductive to economic growth and therefore to balancing the books to cut with the severity uh, that he did. And he overcorrected the famous deficit that was talked of obsessively until, interestingly, Johnson declared that there was no way they were... uh, No, not Johnson. uh, Osborne declared that there was no way they were going to close the deficit in the second term, having promised to do it in the first term and then stood on on an election to get it done on the second term. And then uh, the BBC and everyone else stopped showing interest in the theme of the deficit. Well, it will come up now because uh, Sunak and... Uh, his Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, will choose to make it an issue. But if they overcorrect, that will be calamitous for public services and, in the end, the economy. And if they overcorrect by cutting capital spending, it will be calamitous for chances of growth. Growth will be uh, constrained anyway uh, because of Brexit, but uh, Sunak, a lifelong Brexiteer, will not be able to address that issue. There are challenges in all of this for Labour, having wallowed in this dreamlike 30-point lead during the Truss era. I suspect that gap will narrow, who knows, with this new regime. England never loses a chance to convey approval to various Conservative leaders, except for Truss, who was a freak in terms of being Prime Minister on many levels. But more than that, uh, they will have to form a narrative that goes well beyond sound money, in inverted commas, and uh, economic competence. Economic competence is a precondition for Labour being able to do anything. Proving it in opposition is a game, uh, but a game that has to be played. But there has to be a bigger vision, because in Sunak and Hunt, they have, you know, as we've been discussing, very much sound money uh, in inverted commas, treasury orthodoxy 
figures. And here is the electoral strategy as far as I can discern uh, for uh, Sunak. It is to take some tough decisions now, to say they're doing it for the sake of the country, um, and it will be in the interests of the country to take these tough decisions. But there will be benevolent consequences down the line. And almost certainly, nothing to do with these decisions, which, as I've said, could well be counterproductive in terms of economic growth. But by 2024, surely the economy will be growing from the depths of now and the next few months. And inflation almost certainly will be falling. It's already predicted to do so with the subsidy of the energy bills, even the more miserly uh, subsidy uh, in the post-trust era. And so you can see uh, what the message will be uh, from Sunak in um, 2024. The economy's growing. We've sorted out inflation. Don't let Labour ruin it. It's the 1992 message which works so effectively for John Major. Now, I'm not saying it's going to work again in the same way. That was in uh, the fourth term of a Conservative win. But that is clearly the strategy. And I think one of the things that uh, Neil Kinnock, who lost that 92 election, has always regretted was that he was prevented for having a bigger vision about the NHS uh, by his shadow chancellor, John Smith. Uh, Neil Kinnock wanted to announce an earmarked tax uh, for the NHS, a hypothecated tax, so uh, voters could see the direct benefit of their investment stroke tax in a hugely improved NHS. And given what happened to the NHS post that 92 election, there would have, might have been some potency in it. Now, you know, there needs to be, and, and as a result, Kinnett was interviewed throughout 92. So what's your big idea? You know, and and he had to say, well, what we're planning to do on pensions is a big idea kind of thing. But there wasn't a compelling vision to counter the apparent return of competence under the calm John Major compared to the wild years of the final Thatcher era. And Sunak and Hunt will be a calm duo. And so there needs to be more than calmness and technocratic incremental reforms from Keir Starmer and Labour. And it is not 97 either, where the economy was growing and had been growing for some time. This is different and will need uh, nimble agility to I've said it so many times, but you've got to say, reassure, yes, and excite too. But anyway, uh, this doesn't mean the route I've described for Sunak and Hunt. I'm saying Hunt, by the way. I'm, you know, I assume it will be. I'm recording. You'll, you'll know by the time you hear this. But uh, anyway, yeah, the route is not at all clear for them. This is going to be one hell of a winter. And then we're going to get the consequences of their overcorrected spending cuts and tax rises. And a lot will be determined by the polls. If the polls continue to give Labour these intoxicating leads, Tory MPs will turn on Sunak very quickly. And they will do so with a sense of legitimacy because the party members were never allowed to get a look in. That's how they justified tormenting Theresa May and making their life hell. They are a very difficult parliamentary party to lead and have been since the 1990s. That will be one of the themes at uh, King's Place on Wednesday. So you can watch it, watch the stream if you can't get there live and indeed at the Rope Tackle. We'll look then at Boris Johnson as uh, well and what happened there. And the wider theme 
of this remarkable succession of prime ministers since 2016. And Brexit, that has been a factor throughout. The great silent issue hovering over all of this, including my reflections now, because he's not going to get growth without sorting out Brexit, Sunak. And he won't be able to sort out Brexit. Anyway, uh, it's going to be massive uh, the next few uh, weeks and months. And now, if it's okay with all of you, over to some questions. Now, I said at the beginning, you know, hundreds of questions were in by Sunday. Uh, They're all dated uh, because it was before Johnson pulled out. So I'm sorry, I'm not going to read them out, but I read them all. They're brilliant and very perceptive in terms of the consequences. That word again, um, if Johnson had stood, got over the 100 mark and all the rest of it. But here are some questions that have come in since Johnson pulled out and we knew it was going to be Sunak crowned as leader. And uh, yeah, Andrew uh, Stewart says, over several decades, I feel I've had pretty good instincts as far as British politics is concerned, but I'm reflecting on three thoughts I've had over the past year, that Liz Truss would consider an early election on the back of deft handling of the Queen's death and the traditional prime ministerial honeymoon, that Labour would consider at least replacing Keir Starmer in order to establish a clear and sustainable poll lead, and that Rishi Sunak would never become prime minister. Wrong, wrong, wrong. So my urgent question is, am I losing my marbles or has the world gone mad? Yeah, well, Andrew, uh, don't worry, you're not losing your marbles. All predictions are hazardous um, because uh, the second part's right. The world's gone mad. I mean, we've had four chancellors since July. And by the way, what about the contact contact to some of these cabinet ministers who uh, tweeted their backing for Johnson? And when Johnson pulled out, uh, did a kind of just the most transparent of U-turns and said, oh, we now support Rishi Sunak and get behind him. These people are so shallow and transparent. They shouldn't be near a parish council, let alone the cabinet. Uh, No, we're living in mad times. Uh, (laughs) That's the answer. Now, Jeff Strange, who has moved, I think, have you moved permanently to Ireland, Jeff, from uh, North London? He says, don't both the Conservatives and Labour need to address that elephant in the room that is Brexit? Uh, moreover, don't Labour need uh, some Ed Miliband-esque rhetoric over uh, on this issue over Keir Starmer's dull acquiescence uh, about uh, a better Brexit? Or at least a communicator who can inject some uh, positivity about what they might do, if only strategically. Back to the laundry. Oh, are you doing laundry while you listen to the podcast, Jeff? Okay. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I hope everything is neat and crisp as you walk around Dublin reflecting on James uh, Joyce. Every All your clothes are neat and crisp. Brexit is the elephant in the room. And as I say, I was very struck when uh, Trust talked about an anti-growth coalition. And in her recent passion for Brexit, she was absolutely part of an anti-growth coalition. There will be no sustained growth until Lord Frosty Frost's deal uh, is dismantled. And oh, by the way, he, he did that political thinking with Nick Robinson the other day. And 
uh, he doesn't usually he only usually does interviews with Brexiteers and Brexiteer supporting think tanks where he is revered for his um, calamitous Brexit. Um, but in this one, he faced the quotes of when he was pro EU and the sort of contrast between the promises of economic growth and all that kind of stuff and the reality. And boy, he couldn't, he couldn't really handle it. Um, these lightweights, they are disingenuous lightweights. But it is the elephant in the room. I think more space will open up for Labour to say more about uh, Brexit by the time of the election, but not much more from their perspective. There is a way of framing a language, I think, where you just expose how bad this Brexit deal has been done. But I don't think they can frame a case for Remain. It's too near that 2016 referendum. But they've got to find a form of words that gives them the space to get the UK back into the single market, or else Keir Starman's plans for growth will be stifled as well. They just need a form of words. If they haven't got the self-confidence to put the case for that, just make sure that route is not completely closed off. Thank you, Jeff. Enjoy yourself in the Joycean world of Ireland. Now, Brian Pearson from Perth in Australia. As Johnson sees himself as his hero, Churchill, he would have been privately annoyed that the Queen died after he lost power because he wanted to lead the nation through the morning as Churchill uh, did. Yeah, he would have absolutely had that image in his mind of Churchill when the king died, greeting the new queen off the plane and all the rest of it. And he was just a mere ex-prime minister kind of attending these ceremonies silently. So that led him uh, to run for the leadership again. And it might make him challenge again at the next election in his view coming to the rescue of the Tories thereby emulating his hero, Churchill. It's obviously he didn't get the 100 backers this time because he would have entered the contest another lie. I think, Brian, even if he had got the 100, his uh, fantasy since he had to leave in July had been challenged too severely. His fantasy in July, Johnson's, was that uh, Sunak and a couple of others had conspired to remove him. Um, and that on the beach, wherever he was, uh, when uh, Truss resigned, he thought, I can now return and take all my doting parliamentarians to the promised land. He rushed back and found the number of doting parliamentarians had diminished and were nowhere near as many as he assumed would be the case. And when he lost the likes of Braverman and Baker, he knew the game was up. Um, I, my guess is he will feel more depressed now than when he got kicked out in July, uh, because there he was sustained by the fantasy that it was only Sunak and a couple of others. Uh, he's he's such a weird bloke. He's, he's, he, his behaviour in the last few days has been childlike, and he has no sense of instant history. He's fascinated by history, you know, Greek, the Greek legends and Churchill and Shakespeare. But the recent past, it's almost as if it didn't exist. And he is behaving over recent days as if there was no recent past. In other words, his recent past. Anyway, thank you uh, for that. 
Uh, Connor Jones uh, from Cardiff wonders why Sunak wants the job. He lists Sunak's challenges. War in Europe, a powerful defence secretary demanding huge defence spending increases. Yeah, I don't think his powerful defence secretary is going to get some of those right away. Uh, The NHS on its knees and nurses strike down the track. 90% of all public schools about to run out of money. Inflation at 10%, huge increases in interest rates. Spook markets uh, demanding fiscal constraint. He's going to comfort those markets. A divided party against tax increases, many different unions threatening strikes, Northern Ireland problems still unsolved, far right kicking up a fuss over immigration, a desperate need for immigration to fill job vacancies, a desperate need for spending increases in the public sector after 10 years of austerity. So the question is, is Sunak completely fucked? Well, <laughs> it's it's a tough intray. I think it's one of the toughest intrays of uh, any prime minister since 1945 quite a lot of it self-inflicted by him and some of his colleagues over the last 12 years. But I can see why he wants it. It is utterly uh, intoxicating being Prime Minister. It's why Truss at first clung on when it was so obvious she was doomed. They all do. And he will think, and this is quite dangerous, I think, when Prime Ministers first become Prime Minister... Uh, they have a sense of destiny, you know, that they were destined for greatness, really, because they know so many who have failed. And I think that sense will be deeper for Sunak because of the way he got it. In the leadership contest, he was doomed. The party members had fallen for the trust magic, as in economic magic, not that she was a magician. She obviously wasn't. And many people would then have thought, right, that's it. You know, many people wrote that uh, Sunak would be off out of politics, perhaps back to America and so on. And he's prime minister. He, in effect, won the leadership contest that he lost. And I think he will feel a great sense of destiny um, and excitement. Um, But that's quite dangerous because when reality hits, being prime minister is a form of hell, even in relatively calm times. So he's. you're right, you've just outlined an agenda that would drive anyone crazy. Uh, and it's a pretty accurate one as well, Connor. Matthew Ryder from Huntington in Cambridgeshire. Uh, oh, oh, thank you, Matthew. I love the podcast and look forward to them every week. Thank you very much. Uh, you recently asked members of the cooperative to make recommendations for holiday destinations that have a political flavour. Yeah, I think it was somebody from the Rock and Roll Politics Cooperative, Matthew, who um, uh, suggested that as a, a proposition. May I humbly make such a recommendation? Absolutely, Matthew, you may. Uh, we need something a bit kind of light to reflect on holiday venues because we're all drained, Matthew, by this uh, ongoing drama, which is far from over. So this is his recommendation. On a recent holiday in Iceland, I visited Hafti House in Reykjavik. This was the venue for the famous US-Soviet Union summit in 1986, when Gorbachev and Reagan agreed to end the Cold War. I was so taken with this discovery that my lovely daughter later gave me a framed picture of this building, complete with a photograph of the two leaders at the summit as a birthday present. I'm looking forward to seeing you at King's Place during the half-term week. Um, we all need a drink. What time does the bar open? Yeah, good question. I think it opens early, Matthew. And we'll all need a drink then and afterwards, I suspect. Yeah, what a great tip. 
Um, I think the original tip was in the US, one of those great sort of political uh, venues, you know, where you get the the Nixon Library or whatever, or the Bush Library. But that's a good one. Whenever we can afford it, we can all go to Reykjavik. The state of the pound means Reykjavik. You'll have to be a kind of billionaire just to get the taxi from the airport. Um, but that's a really good tip. Um, well, look, it's um, we're at the start of the Sunak era. And um, I think we need to get together to make sense of it all, beginning with these live shows this week. And then next week, we've got the budget stroke financial statement stroke what have you that will set the course so far removed from the trust quateng vision we might as well be in a different world and yet with its own dangers uh in my view so well have a great week hope to see some of you uh in king's place and the rope tackle or live on the stream uh there's going to be yeah It's going to be a lot of stuff we'll be covering in those live shows. And then let's all get together again next week. Uh, Thank you all so much for tuning in. Do leave a review if you've got a spare moment, but only if you like it, please, because that gets it to others for reasons I've never understood. Um, And yeah, oh yeah, thank you for those who've joined Patreon. Hope you enjoy the bonus podcasts and the mugs and stuff like that. And see you all either at the live shows or here next week. In the meantime, take a deep breath. We're on another wild, crazy political ride and have a good time as well. Thank you. Bye. Bye.